welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. There was a husband and wife who were first-time parents, and they brought their little baby home from the hospital. And the first night that they were at home, uh, the mom got up and kind of walked down the hallway, and she walked into the baby's room, and she saw her husband, the baby's dad, standing there over the crib looking down at their brand-new little baby. And uh, not wanting to disrupt this special moment, the mom kind of stood there and watched the, the, her husband for a little bit, and she saw he got a little emotional and just kind of was overcome. And so she couldn't help herself anymore, so she quietly snuck in the room and put her arm around her husband and said, can I have a penny for your thoughts right now? And her husband was just so overwhelmed. He just said, it's just, it's just so amazing. It's so unbelievable that somebody can make a crib this great for only $14.95. <laughs> All the men in the room are like, yeah, I get it. Men, women are hitting you right now, right? <laughs> now, why do I say that? Because I think we look at things differently sometimes. And, and, and although we could be looking at the exact same thing, we could see it in two different ways. Can we agree on that? I think that's, that's something that can happen. And, and, I, and I, my point in telling you that story is to say, why are you here today? Why are you really here today? And I don't just mean like in this room at this time, but why do you come on Sunday morning? What, what, what brings you to this place? Is it because you want to come and, and eat some donuts? Is it because you want to be around people? Is it because you want to hear some good music? Is it because you want to hear a good message? Or is it because you want to really connect with your Savior? And, and you really want to experience God in a deep and personal way and do it with other brothers and sisters in Christ? And I think that's a really important question. If you're a guest, we've been in a series called Game of the Throne. And if you've missed it, this is, you're kind of coming in the last episode um, today. But really, this is kind of the most important one. So if you missed it, I encourage you to go to our website, yankton.church. You also go to our podcast or YouTube channel and just watch those past messages. But really, if I could just sum it up for you very simply, following Jesus is not that hard. I'm 45 years old, and, and I don't I would not claim to stand up here and tell you I've got everything figured out. I'm still on a journey myself. But this is the thing that I've learned. I've followed Jesus almost my entire life. I think we make it more complicated than it needs to be. See, following Jesus is very simply, there is a throne in your life. And either you are sitting on the throne or God is sitting on the throne. It's one or the other. And our, our job to be like Christ is to say, I'm going to surrender that throne to you, God. And we say to God, thy will be done, not my will be done. And, and although I think that's a very simple idea, and that's the whole point of this entire series, yet it, it seems more difficult than that, doesn't it? And, and you've heard me say this before, and I just want to restate it, is that there is nothing unique about Elaine and I, and what Elaine and I have done in this church over the past five years. See, if you're truly allowing God to be on the throne of your life, if you don't know our story five years ago, Elaine and I felt the call to come to Yankton to sell our, our dream house that we just bought in Sioux Falls, to le quit our jobs, to pull our kids from the only community they've ever known and come to Yankton, South Dakota because we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ matters and it can change lives. And, and, and that's the problem I think we have with getting off the throne because if we get off the throne, then God might call us to do something kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> and I think that says more about us than it does about God. Who's really on the throne in your life? 
Is it thy will or my will be done? And, and we've talked about this life of King Saul in the book of 1 Samuel, and I hope you've been taking your daily challenges, your weekly challenges, and reading in, in 1 Samuel. But just to kind of recap for you, King Saul started off really well. If you're not familiar with it or if you are over-familiar with the Bible, it's good to remember that those first few times of Saul, he was on a really good path. But it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And so many times in ministry, over and over again, I see people start off real excited and really glad. Yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I want to follow him. Yes, I want to serve him. And then they fall into these traps, the same traps that Saul fell into. And the first one we talked about is the fear of people. How we care more about what other people think and say about us than what God has already said about us. And I made the statement, you cannot please both God and people. You've got to pick one. Are you living for the approval of man? Or are you living for the approval of God? The second trap that Saul fell into that we can fall into as well is keeping control. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be the one in the driver's seat. And it's uncomfortable. Again, as I said, it's simple, but it's uncomfortable to let God say, okay, God, you're in control. And we want to try to control other people. We don't only want to be on the throne of our lives, but we want to be on the throne of other people's lives and be God for them and tell them what to do. But I said again, the only person I can control is me. I'm the one that makes the decision. I can't control other people. The third trap was the trap of disobedience. And how so many times we think and we want to justify, we want to blame, we want to minimize our behavior. Friends, God's word does not change. God could not be more clear. When he tells us how we're supposed to live, he designed you, he wants you to be successful, he wants you to live the life that he purposed for you, and we disobey that. And I said again, God requires total obedience. To which you might say, well, I can't do that, Pastor. Exactly. <laughs> That's why you need to get off the throne and let your perfect Savior, Jesus, be on the throne for you. And last week, we talked about the final trap, which is the struggle for ourselves. And how so many times, we, when we're on the throne in our life, God will allow us to be on the throne of our life, but then we have those doubts, we have those struggles. I said how every time we're on the own throne of our life, God will put us in a position where there's something bigger that we have no idea how to face. And God allows that so we can say, okay, I need you, God. God, I need to get off that throne. Are we trusting in God? Are we trusting in ourselves? Again, I think the idea is very simple, but pra practically it can be kind of difficult, can't it? So uh, the challenge, like I said, every week we've been giving you a challenge to read 1 Samuel. So far we've been chapter 9 through 17, but I hope that you've fallen in love with God's word over this series. I hope that it speaks to your life. And I've said it before, and I'm just going to say it again. If you aren't doing that, if you're not in God's word, you've already answered the question, who's on the throne in your life? <laughs> it's not God. If you want to hear from God, we need to be in his word. And so today we're going, to pick, we're going to kind of fast forward through the life of Saul. We ended last week on the very famous story of David and Goliath, which I would contend it wasn't actually David and Goliath. The problem was between Saul and God. And, and go back and watch that message if you missed it. But there was this little shepherd boy named David, and I'm sure you know the story where he slayed the big, great, big giant. And that one moment catapulted David not only into a celebrity status in the nation of Israel, but it got him on Saul's radar. In verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 12, this is what it says. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. 
And that's a very sad verse to listen to because, listen, Saul had gotten to a place in his life where he was so much on the throne of his life that he was not willing to let God do what God had called him to do. And then he saw this person, David, not as a help, not as an assistant, but as a threat to his throne. And I've said it throughout this series, but again, just to reinforce this as we're landing the plane here this week, God will not fight you for the throne of your life. He will look at you and say, okay, thy will be done. And that's exactly what happened in the life of Saul. And just to kind of go through it all, Saul doesn't like this. So Saul tries to actually personally kill David. You can read about that in 1 Samuel. And of course, David evades Saul's murder. So Saul instead tries to trick David into a battle. And he thinks if he goes in this battle, then the enemies will kill David. Well, guess what? The enemies didn't kill David. In fact, David killed more of them. And so he said, okay, that didn't work. So Saul tried to kill David a second time. David at that point got kind of smart and says, listen, if I stay here, this guy's going to kill me. So David goes into hiding. He runs away. And Saul would spend years chasing David. In fact, Saul would do something terribly wicked. There was a priest that actually helped David because he didn't know anything about it. And Saul went in and actually killed the priest and the entire household of that. And on two different occasions, two separate times, David had an opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was right in his hand, and honestly, most of David's people would have understood it and justified it, knowing how Saul was unjustly going after David. But both times, David would make the statement, who am I to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed? David knew that I don't need to take matters into my own hand and take care of Saul. Yes, Saul is wicked. Yes, Saul is pursuing me unrighteously, yet I'm going to trust in God, not in myself. I don't want to become like King Saul. Why do I tell you all that? Because throughout this whole time in the next 10 chapters of 1 Samuel that we're fast-forwarding through, Saul is on the throne. And Saul is more obsessed with finding David and getting David than he is the true enemy. And although this is the part where most people typically focus on when they're studying Saul, this is what I wanted to understand about this series is how did Saul get to this point? How would Saul go from this great king who started really well to this paranoid, fallen, evil, and wicked king? Because the same thing can happen to you, and it can happen to me, if we don't avoid these traps. And today, we're going to wrap this series up, and we're going to learn about the dramatic conclusion to Saul's life. And I said it at the beginning throughout the series, it does not end well. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you a Bible. You can also have version. It's a free app on any smartphone and device. You can download it right now. But 1 Samuel chapter 28 is really the beginning of the end of King Saul. And I'm going to start in verse 3. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Samuel was the great leader of Israel. You remember, he's the one who anointed Saul. He was a trusted friend. In a lot of ways, Samuel was Saul's pastor. And even after God left Saul, Samuel mourned for Saul. Samuel wanted Saul to return to who he was and who he was with God. But yet, it's interesting that throughout Scripture, from week five, we remember that Samuel left Saul, and at no point in the rest of his life did Saul ever seek out Samuel again. 
And at that time, again, David was rising through the ranks. Saul was starting to fall off. And Samuel, Saul never once sought out Samuel for his help. Why? Because Saul was firmly on the throne. Not just of the nation of Israel, but of his own life. He didn't want to hear from that God thing anymore, right? I've got my own thing. I'm successful. I can take care of myself. I don't need that God anymore in my life. Yeah, it sure helped me get to where I am, but I don't need that anymore. Sound familiar? <laughs> I hear it all the time. And people who walk away from God and don't want to have that in their life anymore. But verse 4, there was going to be a problem. The Philistines assembled and came up and set camp at Shunem where Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. Now, if you've been part of this series, this is the fourth time the Philistines have turned up again. This is the enemy that keeps coming back against Saul. And through the previous ten chapters, Saul was wasting his time chasing David, who, by the way, was actually following God, who wasn't a threat to King Saul, and instead of fighting the real enemy, and by Saul being so distracted and obsessed with David, he allowed the enemies to grow and to come and to now attack the nation again, that God had been trying to wipe them out through Saul. And then verse 6, Saul inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or rooms or prophets. Now, it's important you know, and, I, and I'll show this here in a minute, Saul is not turning back to God. We talked about that word. That word's repentance. It's when you turn towards God and you say, God, I'm sorry, I've been on the throne, I want thy will to be done. That's not what Saul's doing here. Saul is coming to God as if God is some sort of lucky rabbit foot that I can rub and get what I want. I, he's the little genie in the bottle that, okay, God, I need a little boost. God, come help me out right now. God, if you'll do this, I'll do whatever I want. You, you ever been there before? You hear that? You know the difference between being authentic and real and genuine and repentant about your sin and just coming to God and using him because I'm in a pinch and so I need a little God in my life. And we see that all the time. That's what Saul is doing here. And friends, make no mistake about it, God knows the difference. We can fool people all we want. God knows your heart. God knows if you're genuinely and authentically turning to him or if you're just basically using him like a lucky rabbit's foot. And Saul is not hearing anything from God. And so Saul does something. It's one of the most fascinating passages in Scripture. I'm so glad you're here today. And I'm so glad you love your Bible like I do. Because we're going to find out a really cool passage in God's Word today. And it's going to start in verse 7. Saul then said to his attendant, Find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There's one in Endor, they said. She lives among the Ewoks. That's not in the Bible. I just made that up. Any Star Wars fans? The Star Wars fans are laughing, okay? Endor's a planet in Star Wars. I just threw that in as a joke, all right? Saul is going to go consult a medium. He's not hearing from God, so this is his plan that he does. And in verse 8, he disguises himself and goes to the medium. But look at what happens in verse 9. But the woman said to Saul, Surely you know what Saul has done. He has cut off the mediums and the spiritless from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Did you catch that? Saul, I want, I, I'm facing this enemy. I don't know what to do. I've turned my back from God. I'm so far away from God, but I'm going to try the God thing. I'm going to rub him like a little rabbit's foot. That's not working for me either. So now I'm going to go to something that I actually was completely against for my whole career. All these mediums and spiritists, Saul banned them from the, from the land and, and said, we can't do that. 
But yet here's Saul turning to that. Look at how far Saul has fallen. And isn't it ironic that, again, Saul is disguised. The woman doesn't know she's talking to Saul. But the woman says, why would you do that to me? Saul's going to kill me. It's not okay. <laughs> Which I wonder if Saul went, yeah, you're right. It's really not okay, is it? Look at how far Saul has fallen. Why did you want to bring about a trap for my death? It's almost like God is not answering him now, so what should he do next? And what happens next is so fascinating. Again, this is why you should read your Bible. HBO has nothing on God's word, okay? I'm just serious. Like, I hope throughout this series you've learned this, but something here is going to happen when he goes to this spirit and this medium, and it's a very fascinating part of Scripture. But before we look at it, I want to unpack some things for you, okay? And I realize this is the week of Halloween. Please understand... When I planned this series, I had no idea that we were going to land this week, right on the week of Halloween. So I think it's kind of ironic a little bit, okay? And I know in the church, Halloween can be kind of a, like a sensitive topic, because I think some people really don't like it, which I don't get, because if you know your history, Halloween's actually a Christian holiday. It just got warped by paganism. And so anyway, I'm not going to go there. But when it comes to the spiritual side of things, and what we're going to look at, there's a couple things we really need to understand. And here's the first one I want you to understand. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience, okay? We are spiritual beings that are having a physical experience. That's why when we die, our body is left behind and our spirit is with God. You with me on this? Now, for some reason, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you, for some reason, our mostly Caucasian brothers and sisters, okay, we struggle with this, okay? And I don't know why, because my African-American brothers and sisters, my Hispanic brothers and sisters, my Native American brothers and sisters, they seem to understand this idea <laughs> that there is a spiritual world. And God's word talks about it very clearly. We are a physical being having a spiritual experience. We don't need to push away from that. But here's the second thing that I want you to understand before we, before we look at this passage, what happens, okay? There are spiritualists, there are mediums. You guys have seen them on late night TV. You've probably seen them, right? You know what I'm talking about? Most of them are complete frauds, okay? I'm going to admit that. Most of them are complete frauds. If you ever know anything about history, um, the great Harry Houdini, I love a Harry Houdini, big Harry Houdini fan. He's a big magic guy. He was not a believer, but one of the things that he did was he would try to expose the fraudulent of a lot of spirits and mediums, right? They would show that they're taking money from people and leveraging their dead relatives for profit, and he's like, I'm not okay with this. It's a fraud. It's a scam. Most of the things that you see that way are that way. But if you disagree with those two things, I'm going to give you the third one. Before we look at this passage, you have to understand. When it comes to the spiritual world, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is nothing to be afraid of. There is the Spirit of God. The greater is in me than is in the world. I don't understand the fear of spiritual things. Jesus wasn't afraid of demons. He just said, get away from me. Like, there is a Spirit of God that is in me. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. And it's working through that. There's nothing we need to be afraid of. So looking at this verse, what's going to happen here is this woman, this spiritualist, this medium, is actually, Saul is going to ask her to bring up the ghost of Samuel. And it actually happens. Samuel actually appears. And the woman is very afraid when it happens. I think it's almost like she's like going, oh, I can't believe it actually worked this time. <laughs> it's almost like she's a fraud. Samuel actually comes up. Look at verse 15. Samuel, who had died, said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? 
I'm in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called to you to tell me what to do. Saul has so far gone away from God that he would go and try to conjure up the spirit of Samuel to get some direction from him. And I love verse 15 because if you caught it, church, all four traps exist in verse 15. The fear of other people. Oh, the Philistines are fighting against me. Keeping control. God has departed from me. I know I'm on the throne. I know I'm not letting God be on the throne, but I'm going to try to keep control. Talk about disobedience. I've come to a spiritualist, a medium. The very thing that I stood up against, now I'm coming here in direct disobedience to God. And the fourth one is the struggle with self. I don't know what to do, Samuel. Tell me what to do. To which I were Samuel, I'd be like, they didn't ask me when I was alive. <laughs> I was alive for several years. You never saw me. Now you want to talk to me now that you're in trouble? But that's not what Samuel said. But before we look at what Samuel said, I just want to ask you a question. And you might want to write this down. Who's on the throne in your life? Because the longer you stay on the throne, the harder it is to get off it. See, Saul had been firmly on the throne of his own life for years now. Scholars think that it was between 14 and 20 years between the time of Goliath to this moment where Saul was about to meet his fate. And Saul had been so firmly planted on the throne that these four traps were no longer traps in his life, they were full snares. And you can tell by his response in verse 15 by how much these four things have become part of who Saul is. How far from God Saul has gone. And now he's facing a moment of crisis and it reveals this wickedness in his heart. And the thing that's most disturbing about all of this is Saul doesn't even realize it for himself. He has been so far on the throne of his life that he doesn't even recognize how far he's gotten from God. I just want to stop there. Friends, I want you to know something very true. God loves you so very much. God's desire is for us to have a relationship with him. But in order for that relationship to work, there is an order, and the order is God is on the throne, and I am not on the throne. Saul had firmly planted himself on the throne, had been there so long that he couldn't even recognize that he was the one that was causing the issue and the problem. And if you're here today, and you're thinking in your mind, man, I'm far from God right now. Pastor, I've been on the throne of my life. Is there any hope for me? A am, I, am I too far gone? Is God ever going to allow me to get off that throne and come back in his life? And man, I got some good news for you. <laughs> and this is the key to our series. This is why I'm so glad you're here. And, and to show you this, I'm going to show you, I'm going to compare King Saul to the king we've been talking about, the other king, King David the one who would be raised up, the one who would take Saul's place. And, and, and just to walk you through this, King David, by comparison, his sins that he committed were far more egregious than Saul from a human perspective. If you're not familiar with David, let me just go over it to you real briefly. King David saw a young woman, and he said, I like that. He had the woman brought to him. And the Bible says he committed adultery with her. Okay, this is not actually adultery because in that culture at that time, if the king says, come, I'm going to, it's rape. She didn't give consent to this. 
She was a married woman. She happened to be married to one of David's chief officers. And that relationship got her pregnant. And instead of taking responsibility for his actions, David tried to lie about it and cover it up. He brought this man back, and this man wouldn't agree with David. So David had him sent out and had this man murdered and then tried to cover it up. That was our King David. That happened. But here's the thing that you need to understand. David, God said, your kingdom is going to endure forever. Through the line of David would come Jesus, this rapist, this murderer, this liar. And then King Saul, by comparison, really King Saul was guilty of incomplete obedience. When we look from a human standard, the sins of David are far worse than the sins of Saul. So why would God honor and respect David? And would God, why would God reject Saul and reject his kingdom? And it comes down to one word. And it's a word I don't like. And I guarantee you it's a word that you don't like as well. But friends, this is the word that you need to understand when it comes to the game of the throne and what it means to follow God. Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. The difference between King David and King Saul was one word, and that was broken. When David was confronted by his sin, he was broken before God. And he would write Psalm 51 was David's response to his sin. And unlike King Saul, who David got a front row seat to see all of King Saul's games, David was able to say, listen, I'm broken before God because of my sin. But see, again, we don't like to be broken. We like to be all put together. That's why we come to church on Sunday and we dress up and we, we you know, make ourselves look nice and we put on a smile and we, we smile at people because we want people to think we're all put together, right? You want to know how we should come to church? I think a lot of us sometimes, we need to come to church broken. I'm the pastor that says, this is a place where it's okay not to be okay. Because if there's some stuff going on in your life and you're feeling broken right now and you put on a front and you put on a mask and you put on a face, God sees your heart. We need to be okay not being okay. David was okay. When David was confronted on his sin, David was broken before God, and it made all the difference. Saul, on the other hand, Saul was too firmly planted on the throne. And even though, like I said, by human standard, David's sins were far greater than Saul's, God looked at David's heart and said, that's the kind of man that I want to be, someone who is broken. So if you got your notes, I'm going to give you three things about brokenness that we're going to learn from David in this situation with Saul. And here's the first one. Brokenness is authentic. Brokenness is authentic. Saul was not authentic in his inquiry of God. I mentioned that before. He was using God like a lucky rabbit's foot. I'm trying to get what I want. God, save me from this. That was not being authentic. We can fool other people. We cannot fool God. Look at what Proverbs 15 says. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. You guys remember that song by the great artist Garth Brooks called Unanswered Prayers? Remember that song? See, if you're not familiar, he sings a song and he says, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Can I just give you a, a real hard truth? Sometimes when you're coming before God and you're not getting an answer, that's the best gift that God can give you is not to give you an answer. Remember Saul? Saul was trying to get God's attention. God looked and Saul wasn't getting an answer. You know why? Because Saul's heart wasn't right. 
sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. If you're not hearing from God right now, is there something in your life that you need to look at and say, okay, God, reveal in my heart. And the best thing about God, if you come to God authentically and genuinely and say, God, show me, show me what's going on in my life right now. Show me what's keeping me from you. God will reveal it. The problem is we don't always want to see that, do we? Because <laughs> it's usually something we don't want to change or deal with. But brokenness requires authenticity. We need to be authentic about our brokenness. Here's the second thing that it does. Brokenness needs to be honest. We need to be honest with ourselves. The person that I lie to most in my life is myself. I can convince myself of all kinds of foolishness if I allow myself to do that. Just like King Saul, we can blame, we can minimize, we can justify our actions. David doesn't do any of that. David accepts full responsibility for his actions. Look at Psalm 51 again, verse 4. This is what David writes. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. See, until we are honest with God about ourselves and our actions, we are still on the throne of our life. Which is why, church, I remind you again, this is why we need other people in our life. And this is the requirements of these people. You need to find people in your life who, number one, love God and follow God first. If you are, have people in your life and you like them but they don't follow God, they're not going to help you grow closer to God. If you want to be more like Jesus, find people who look like Jesus and be around them. But the second thing is just as important. You need to find people who love God and also love and are committed to you. It's easy to hurt somebody and walk away. Anybody can do that. You know what love says? And this is why I think we are afraid to be broken in the church. Because I've done this before, and I'm sure you have as well. Somebody will come up and share something with you, a brokenness, and we'll try to fix them, and we'll try to make them feel guilty about what they've done. Instead of saying, man, I'm so sorry that happened, but I'm going to be here with you. We're going to walk through this together. As your pastor, I love you with all my heart. There are times that I have to speak the truth into your life. And there's some times when I have to do it and you might not like what you hear from me. And please understand, in those situations, I take that very seriously. I pray about it. I'm checking my own heart first. But it happens all the time when I have to confront someone on their sin and I try to do it in love and they say, oh, okay, and then they just leave. <laughs> I don't get that. Friends, that's not love. Love doesn't run away. Love says, listen, we disagree. Maybe you hurt me. Maybe I hurt you. But I'm not going anywhere. We are going to stay together through this and fight the battle together. Friends, that's what authentic love means. That's what it means to be honest with each other. You know, sometimes, and some of you have the same illness I have, it's called the, the, the Midwest nice illness, right? Anybody else have the Midwest nice illness, right? Where you see somebody do something and you're like, that's not okay, but you, you're kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's all right. We need to quit doing that, all right? When you see somebody doing something that's hurtful to them, that's taking them away from God, we need to actually love them enough to say, listen, I love you, this is not okay. You need to stop doing this. And here's why. And again, you're not going to hurt them and walk away. You love them. You want them to get better. You want them to do that. That's what it means to be authentic. That's what it means to be truly honest with someone else. Because I love you and I want you to be what God has called you to be. So brokenness is authentic. Brokenness is honest. 
Here's the third one, and man, if I got your attention now, I will hear. Brokenness is time sensitive. Here's what I mean by that. God's desire is for us to have a relationship with him. He will not fight you for control of your throne. He will look at you and say, thy will be done. And at any point, let me emphasize that again, at any point, if we are truly broken before God, he will restore us. His word just promised that. Here's what I can't let you forget. There will come a point where it's too late. And Saul reached that point where he was out of time. Look at verse 19. This is Samuel from the dead telling this to Saul. Verse 19. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of the Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And everything that Saul fought so hard to keep, his kingship, his nation, his legacy, would be wiped out in one day. In chapter 31, verse 8, the next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Saul's life is a Shakespearean-sized tragedy. It started out so well. He was excited with God. He, was he came out of nowhere. He was picked from the smallest tribe. He was raised the great leader. He had three great victories to start out, and he could not get off the throne of his life. And he kept going back on. He kept falling in those traps, and it all got wiped out in one simple day at the exact same time. Now, there's a question that's asked a lot, and you might be thinking it right now. And I think that's the wrong question, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's the question is, okay, did Saul go to heaven then? Did, did, did Saul, when he died, did he go to heaven? Everybody look right here. I think that's the wrong question. See, I think the problem in our church today, and I mean America, not just our church, is that we've reduced Christianity to an in or an out. Am I going to heaven or am I not going to heaven? What's, what, what do I do to make sure I'm on this side of the fence? Because I don't want to be on this side of the fence. As long as I stay over here, then I'm okay. You miss the point. If the entire purpose of all of Christianity was for you to die and go to heaven, as soon as you found Jesus, guess what? You'd go there, right? Mission accomplished. Achievement unlocked. Next level. Boop, boop, right? You go right back to heaven. The simple fact that you are still here today means there's work to be done. See, God has called you to a holy life, not for your benefit, but for the benefit of other people who need to understand who God is. So I think when we ask the question, did Saul go to heaven or not? I think it's the wrong question. You know what I know about Saul? He wasted his life. All of the opportunity, all the position that God put him in was completely wasted because he refused to get off the throne. He did not allow himself to be broken. And friends, if I could just, if I could beg you, man, I wish you could crawl in my heart right now and know how much I've been praying for you and praying for this moment. Don't waste your life. Don't be Saul. Get off the throne. Be okay not being okay. Being okay to be broken before God and say, listen, there are some things in my life that I need to stop doing. I want to run towards God. I want to be like him. And I'm going to give you the verse again, Psalm 51:17. This is the words of David again. 
The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. You know what brokenness means? Brokenness means I seek to please only God. I don't care what other people say. I don't care what the world says. If it's not from God's word, I'm not going to do it. And simply by making that decision, it's going to put you on the outs with the world. It did for Jesus. Jesus was despised and rejected by the church, mind you. But yet he cared more about what God thought about him than what other people thought about him. Brokenness means I'm the only person I can control is me. You've heard me say before, the greatest gift God has given mankind is the gift of choice. Do you know what brokenness means? Brokenness means I surrender that choice back to God. Can I just tell you something? As a follower of Jesus Christ, 45 years of living, what I've learned, I don't have a choice. (laughs) I've surrendered that to God. My Bible says I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's why when God called Elaine and I to come here and plant this church, it was like, okay, let's go. Why? Because it's not about me. I give that choice back to God. Brokenness means we run from disobedience. Don't see how close you can get to sin and not fall. Stay as far away from the edge as possible. Why would you want to play with it? Why would you want to stay that way? Why do would you blame? Why would you minimize? Why would you justify your actions? Total obedience to God means, God, thy will be done. And again, if you struggle with that, I'm just going to encourage you to go before God and say, God, is there anything in my heart, anything in my thoughts, anything in my actions that I need to change? Trust me, he'll show you something. <laughs> I've been, I, pray that, I try to pray that prayer on a daily basis because I just want to be more like Jesus. It requires total obedience. Brokenness means that we can't struggle with ourselves because it's not about me anymore. It's about surrendering that to God and saying, God, thy will be done. Don't be Saul. It will not end well. And you don't know how long you have. Not one person in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. Don't wait any longer. And so, one final challenge that I have for you as we wrap up this series. Sometime this week, I'm praying sometime this afternoon, take your Bible out and read Psalm chapter 51. Again, this is the song that David wrote after he was confronted on his sin. And it is the fundamental difference between King Saul and King David. Between those that allow God to be on the throne, that God will bless and honor, and that God will reject. Because I hate, I hate this part, but I have to admit it. There's going to be people in hell. I don't like that. God doesn't like that. But again, God doesn't send anyone to hell. God just looks at you and says, okay, thy will be done. But Christianity cannot be reduced to a simple, are we in or are we out? Your life matters. Your action matters. How we treat other people matters. And we surrender our throne to God and we say, okay, thy will be done. In a minute, I'm going to pray for you. And, and, And I really want you to understand how much I love you and how proud I am of you and how much I know God wants to do a work in your life. And when I'm done praying, um, we're going to have communion together. 
Um, just so you know, at Celebrate Church, we have an open communion. If you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, if you've committed your life to him, even if you've done that right here when, while we pray, you are welcome to come and take communion with us. Okay? And logistically, just so you know, again, if you're a guest, we're going to walk down the aisle here. We're going to take the elements. We're going to go back to our seats, and then we'll take the elements together when it comes to that point. But as I pray for you, I want this to be a moment where just church, it's okay not to be okay. And if there's some brokenness that needs to happen in our life right now, this is the moment to make that happen. Because what we do matters. And God loves you too. Let's pray. God, I have that feeling again where um, in a minute I got to put this microphone down and I got to live out what you just said. And <laughs> that's always the hardest part. But in reality, God, it's not hard. You've made it very clear. Your word is very clear. It's either thy will be done or my will be done. God, I thank you for the life of King Saul. And even though it ended in a tragedy and there was so much waste in that, Lord, there's so much that we can glean from that, God. Because again, as I, as I read through this series and as I preached this series, I see a lot of myself in King Saul. God, there are times where I have cared far more about what other people think about me than what you think about me. God, forgive me for that. God, if there's anyone in this room right now who's in my same boat that I've been into, help us to confess that sin before you right now. And that from this day forward, we're going to care about what you say, not what other people say. God, I confess before you that there are times when not only do I try to control my own throne, I try to get on the throne of other people's lives because I think they know, I know better for them. God, forgive me of that. God, help me understand the reality that the only person I can control is myself. And that means that sometimes people might hurt and some people I love might get hurt, but at the end of the day, God, I'm going to surrender them to you, their heavenly Father, the one who loves them and knows them better than anything. God, oh Lord, there are times when I have disobeyed you. There are times when I've been dishonest. There's times when I've done things that I know are not okay. God, I just ask for your loving forgiveness. Jesus, that's why you came and died on the cross for us, is because you knew that we would need that redemption. God, help me and help everyone in this room to stay as far away from sin as we possibly can. God, that we wouldn't even go near the edge. We would turn and run as far away from it as possible. And whenever we find ourselves falling, we would immediately, we wouldn't wait, God, we would immediately pray to you and confess that sin. Maybe there's a person in our life we need to find today that we need to say, God, find that person and say, I need to confess this to you. This is a sin that I have in my life, and I need to release it in Jesus' name. That every person who would leave this room today would be released from that sin in Jesus' name. God, there are times when I struggle with myself. There are times when I crawl back up on that throne even though I don't want to. And Lord, every time we do, we always face a battle that <laughs> is bigger than what we can face. Alone. And in those moments, God, I ask for humility that we would be able to humble ourselves and come before you and say, okay, God, well, what, am I, what am I struggling with right now? How can I get back to trusting you? Because, God, you're a good God. You want good things for us in your life. 
And God, I just, again, if there's anyone here today that has not yet surrendered that throne, or maybe there's, there's a, maybe they've gotten back on that throne, that today would be that moment where they say, okay, Lord, thy will be done, not my will be done. Thank you, and I praise you, and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless. Thank you.